Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from the Sully Baseball Studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager, Bob Melvin, and just down the 101 from AT&T Park, the home of the San Francisco Giants. One of my great, oh, partners in watching baseball, and I have talked about him before, and he's actually, you've heard his voice on this podcast before, is my cousin Dave. My cousin Dave Sullivan, who I consider to be a sibling. There's a couple people in my life who are cousins who I consider to be siblings. Maybe not biologically they're siblings, but emotionally they're my siblings. They are, uh, you know, they've been there for me when I've, when things have been good. They've been there for me when things have been bad. Uh, my cousins Dave and Julie especially are two of my cousins who I, you know, I call them, I call Julie my sister. I call, I call uh, Dave my brother because they, they fill those roles. And I, Julie was on this podcast when I, she was there with my father and me when we were watching Game 7 of the 2014 World Series between Kansas City and San Francisco. And we were rooting hard for the Giants, unlike everyone else on the planet Earth, evidently, uh, at least outside the Bay Area. But didn't it feel better, in, uh, Royals fans, winning the next year, knowing how close you got to it? Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Now, my cousin Dave and I have been rabid baseball fans my whole life. And we have, we exchange emails, texts throughout the day regarding baseball. And it's, and it's how I know positive things are happening with the Mets because I will you know, be working and he's in the East Coast, I'm in the West Coast. And I would get a text that just said, Mother effing Cespedes. And I'm like, oh, I wonder what happened. And you look up and say, oh, Cespedes just homered. Um, so... We, we, we send stuff, and sometimes we like to exchange like stuff from obscure players, players from our youth, players for, who had baseball cards that were always in the packets because you know, we used to spend our summers together, walk up to the uh, Buddy's ice cream store in Fairfield, Connecticut, buy a few packs of baseball cards, and look at that, there's Ed Hearn. But he sent me something the other day, and the stranger the better from my cousin Dave. He sent me something the other day that really caught my attention. I'm going to post this on SullyBaseball.com. Uh, I'm going to post this on Twitter at SullyBaseball. And it is a interview. You know when they used to do Kiner's Corner or they would do the post-game show after a Mets game? And for those of you who had the Superstation WOR during the 80s, you saw a lot of the Mets and you saw a lot of Mets coverage. And you saw these post-game shows, which today just look like, you know, cable access, public access type TV level. But, you know, back then it was, you know, that was somewhat sophisticated. It was always intended to be hosted by Kiner. Um, this one was hosted by Fran Healy, who was considerably younger and I'm guessing more sober. And... Normally they would have on, uh, like, the player of the game or maybe a former Met. This was an interesting one. 
they had on Richard Nixon. Now, this is this was a, a clip from the it was not dated, but based upon how they were talking about the team and, and the manner that they were talking about, it, I'm guessing it was 1987 because uh, they were talking about the Mets needed to catch up with the Cardinals and that the Expos were hot on their tail. That that pretty much describes 1987. Uh, so Nixon. Now, this is Nixon during the beginning of his, how do I put it, his rehabilitation. Because he, he, he had been disgraced, obviously resigned from office after Watergate in 1974, kind of went into, you know, exile, was pardoned by Ford, did the famous Nixon-Frost interviews, and then kind of spent the early part of the 80s, he moved back to the East Coast, the native Californian moved to New Jersey. He actually lived in the same town, in the same kind of condo complex as my Uncle Ron, which I thought was strange, uh, that he got to know Nixon a little bit towards the end of his life. But um, I think he went back to being a lawyer to a degree, but he also wrote a lot and did a lot to try to repair his image. And was a... Anyone who knows things about Nixon, was a, he was a huge sports fan. Now, he was a big, he played, or at least tried to play football at Whittier College, was a big, big football fan. And I believe there's, this may be apocryphal, but he, apparently he used to try to design football plays and send it to the um, Allen, uh, George, it was a George Allen who was the coach of the Washington Redskins, uh, saying, here are some plays, here are some plays that I think you should use. I think that you use this and maybe you can beat the Dolphins. Or, so that's my Nixon, and I may, I may go into a Nixon from time to time. Now, I'm not going to get political on this podcast, even though I'm talking about a one of the most polarizing figures in the history of America, was Richard Nixon. I, I think that's a pretty safe statement to make. Um, and Nixon was... Brilliant at some things, without peer on some things, and extraordinarily dangerous and terrifying on other things. Now, whether or not he was more dishonest or more paranoid than previous presidents and we, or he was the same level we just learned about it is a... Well, topic of conversation that may, you may have, and a point of discussion. We know he was brilliant in foreign policy. We also know he could lie up a storm. We know that he was a brilliant politician and had an incredibly intelligent mind. We also know he went out of that mind. These are all things that I think are kind of sort of beyond controversies to say those certain things. Um, and, and reading him, reading about him, there's no shortage of books about Richard Nixon, and there's a reason, because he is this onion. You, just, you keep peeling away and peeling away, and there's no ending to the fascinating levels of Richard Nixon. But this is not Sully Nixon. This is not even Trot Nixon. But there's something he said in that interview with Fran Healy that really caught my attention. 
And it wasn't the fact that it was very clear that he was not a casual fan. He was a fan who was actively following the game. You gotta watch out for Montreal. They're bringing on these players, and he knew the players, and apparently was a huge Keith Hernandez fan. He was talking about Keith Hernandez as being one of his favorite players to watch in baseball, and and you know, for fans of the Mets of that era and of the Cardinals of that era too, they sure have a love for Keith Hernandez. But here's what was said: He was brought up. Would you, you know, Fran Healy was, at, you know, throwing him some, lobbing some softball questions. He wasn't saying like, oh, so what happened with Ehrlichman? You know, did, did you really pay off Howard Hunt? No, he didn't ask him questions like that. It was like, you know, so what presidents would make good baseball players? I mean, the questions were, were you know, dopey. But, you know, it's like, we got freaking Nixon in here. What the hell are we going to ask him? And he asked him, would you ever consider being the, the commissioner of baseball? Now, this was, of course, during the 80s, where there was a little bit of flux in the commission of the, the role of the commissioner. You know, we had, we had Bowie Kuhn, who had a very Nixon-like uh, commissionership. Um, we had uh, Uberoff, who we found out later was heavily in the collusion that was going on at that time of owners getting together, colluding to try to break the free agent market. And then eventually you had the tragedy of Giamatti and the anarchy of Faye Vincent. And then you had Bud Selig, who is you know, kind of a Nixon-like figure in baseball history as well. But he said that he was approached. I was, when I first ran, this is, forgive my Nixon impersonation. When I first ran and lost from president in 1960, I was approached to be the commissioner of baseball. And that made me go, whoa, what? What? Now think about this for a second. Think about, I talk about this a lot, about the universe. I talk about the universe a lot more than most baseball podcasters. But I do believe the universe is a connection of events. Reality is, a, is the sum total of the events that happen in the universe, that we are, what we look at as history, what we look at as reality, is a very fragile connection of events. When you watch a baseball game, this team won because of that, because of a series of events that are almost impossible to duplicate. And yet we cling to the, that reality as opposed to what could be a slightly different reality. Nelson Cruz leaps up, misses the ball. The Rangers don't win the World Series. If he leaps up at a slightly different time, the Rangers do win the World Series. And our entire points of view of the Cardinals and Rangers in that year are different. That's a simple example. And it didn't involve the Red Sox. So the events of the world that would have happened, that would have been different had one thing happened instead of another, would be a world that is totally unrecognizable now. Now, had Nixon, and he almost won in 1960, and I'm sure there's some people who fervently believe, and there is evidence to show that maybe those people's beliefs would not be unfounded, that the election was stolen by Kennedy. If Nixon had won and become the president of the United States in the 1960 election, I'm going to go on a limb and say history would be a little bit different. We would have Nixon in the early 60s instead of the 70s. 
You may have had another JFK run in 64. And Dealey Plaza in Dallas would be just another place that would probably have been completely rebuilt and there'd probably be a damn Applebee's there. And Lee Harvey Oswald would be this dude who a couple people in Dallas said, do you remember Lee Harvey Oswald? Yeah, what a weirdo he was. It would have unfolded in a different way. Instead, Nixon tried to run again for governor of uh, California, didn't win, and came back with the greatest comeback in political history in 1968 to win the election and became the president of the United States. And we all know the turmoil that happened there. Just imagine if Nixon had said yes there. And there would have been a prime point, especially after losing the election in California, where I said, well, you know, what the hell? I was vice president. I could be the commissioner of baseball. I could be in a position of borderline absolute power in baseball and be in the, be in the limelight and everything like that and, and, consider, and still be in a position of power and respect as the commissioner of baseball starting in the early to mid-60s. Now stop and think about that era in baseball. What was beginning to happen? The cracks in the reserve clause. For those of you who don't know what that means, the reason we have free agency in baseball, the reason why players can go from team to team, you did not have that. You did not have that in baseball in the... 1900s, 10s, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. Why? Because back then the players were loyal to the team. Shut up. It's nothing to do with loyalty. Players weren't loyal to their teams. The next time you hear someone say that, pick up a snow shovel and threaten to smash them in the face. Don't actually do it. Threaten. And say, you're saying stuff that makes no sense. There was... No free agency. There was no loyalty. You had no legal ability to change teams. You were on that team until they were done with you. And a bunch of legal challenges happened to free agency. Kurt Flood, um, Don Drysdale, Sandy Koufax all threatened the reserve clause. Catfish Hunter. And finally, it was Andy Messersmith and Dave McNally, who the rulings went for, yeah, they should be free agents. What the hell is going on? This is illegal. And that's what broke free agency. And that series of events, events don't happen in a vacuum. Free agency led to the owners panicking. Panicking led to the 1981 strike after the owners tried to curb free agency. They tried to curb free agency again in the 1980s. And then, with, and there was another strike. And then there was collusion. The owners colluded against the players. They were found guilty of that. That led to owners having to pay tremendous penalties, expanding the league to pay those penalties. So we have four new teams because they colluded, which led to the player strike and the lockout of 94 and 95, which led to a dip in attendance, a dip in, and a crash in interest, which led to the steroid era, which brought back baseball, but put PEDs into the spotlight. They're all connected. And one of the reasons why they're all connected, 
And one of the reasons why history unfolded in a certain way is we had a series of commissioners who did a wonderful impersonation of an ostrich sticking their proverbial head in the sand. And I just heard my son Mateo somewhere was correcting me. He said, you know, it's actually biologically ostriches don't blah, blah, but don't really do that. They don't really just let me do this analogy. You had a series of commissioners who did everything in their power to kick the can down the road, not confront when it became painfully obvious that something had to be done about the reserve clause, something had to be done about free agency. Who did we have? We had Ford Frick, who retired in the mid-60s, whose one big thing he ever did in baseball was put an asterisk next to Roger Maris's record. Then we had William Eckert. Remember William Eckert? Of course you don't remember William Eckert. William Eckert was, he was the Liechtenstein of commissioners. He was just there, squashed in between two other ones. He, had, he was, did virtually nothing. You know, he was a guy, he wasn't even a big baseball fan. He probably, he was inserted in 1965, which was probably around the time that Nixon would have been approached. He was only commissioner for a few years. Then Bowie Kuhn, who, yes, wrote back to me when I wrote him a letter in 1981, so I like him for that. But in his commissionership between 1969 and 1984 was perfectly bracketed Kurt Flood and collusion. It all took place under his watch. And reading about him and learning about him, read whether it's the, the great books of the Lords of the Realms or whatever you want to read about that time, Bowie Kuhn did almost everything in his power to not act upon these events that were so critical to the unfolding of baseball. He seemed to be more interested in suspending Charlie Finley and uh, um, Bill Veck and concentrating on, you know, whether or not people are smoking pot or doing drugs and allowed the, the, the owners on both leagues to push a system that basically spent the, put the game in the spiral and the chaos of the 70s, 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. Now imagine, instead of a passive commissioner, whatever you want to say about Richard Nixon, the man was not passive. And the man was also not bad at getting two sides that really didn't like each other to come up with agreements. Now, you could make the argument that his ending of the Vietnam War was, that, that happened in the mid-70s was no better than what could have been done in 1969. You could make the very, very uh, credible argument that the war was prolonged for several years and nothing was gained by prolonging it. Yes, absolutely. Opening up China, the SALT agreements with the Soviet Union at the peak of the Cold War, these are things that he was able to pull off to have Commissioner Richard Nixon, Deputy Commissioner Henry Kissinger, who, say what you want about Kissinger, 
and does a lot of bad shit to save our Kissinger. He knew a little something about negotiating with different sides and conflicting sides. Wouldn't our country have been in a slightly better place if those were negotiating amongst Kurt Flood and the owners of the National League teams? Wouldn't the paranoia and the sense of the, the cracking down on his enemies have been less harmful had they been doing it in the world of baseball? Or maybe he would have, without the checks and balances, he would have been able to be focused and do a better job and see the issues, see these things coming. That's the thing that blows my mind when you read the history about how these people in charge of the game didn't see these problems coming. I think Nixon would have. Nixon, whatever you think of him, was a, I don't know, I'm going to go out on a limb here, a big picture guy. How would the history of the United States and the history of baseball have been different had Richard Nixon been the commissioner of baseball? How would it have been different if we had a commissioner who didn't mind getting his hands dirty and doing the hard work instead of having a bully coon. Now, of course, would we have had burglars break into Kurt Flood's home and try to bug him? Would we have people breaking in and planting uh, uh, unflattering articles about Andy Messersmith or, or Dave McNally or Catfish Hunter? Yeah, maybe, perhaps. Yeah. We would have had, you know, the, the, would people visiting the Washington Senators be staying in the Watergate Hotel? These are things I don't know. But things that you probably would know is you probably would have had a different rollout of free agency. You would have had Richard Nixon against Marvin Miller. One of the reasons why Marvin Miller won virtually every time is because he was up against Bowie Coon and a bunch of owners who couldn't figure out what the hell they wanted to do. You know, at one point, Marvin Miller was, was approached by one of Bowie Coon's deputies and said, you got to give us a win. You got to give us a win. Well, then, then earn the win. It's a strange world that when you think of how it could have unfolded, Sure, a Nixon presidency in 1960, you know, in, uh, starting in 1961 would have been strange. But in Nixon commissionership, former Vice President Richard Nixon ran for the presidency, narrowly lost, became one of our strongest commissioners. And who knows what would have happened? Who knows? We probably wouldn't have had the expansion that we have. Because most of the expansion was done to make up for the screw-ups of the ownership starting under the Bowie Coon years. We probably would have had free agency roll out in a different way, and we probably would have had different acrimony and probably different forms of player strikes. Or maybe Nixon would have realized what a disaster a strike would have been from the beginning and found the ways for, hear it from me, detente. It is a strange alternate universe that I can't stop thinking about. Commissioner Nixon. There would have been the paranoia, of course.
There would have been the mistrust. Absolutely. But it would have been a different unfolding of the reality of baseball as we now see it. And if you think that's far-fetched, just remember how fragile reality actually is. Ask Nelson Cruz. Hell, ask Al Gore. How we see reality. What is reality? What is the unfolding of history? Well, that's a strange thing. And just imagine if those burglars in Watergate never broke in, well, this is just, or were never caught, or they didn't leave the tape on the door. You know, that's the difference between a disgraced and a celebrated president, or perhaps a disgraced president and a great commissioner. So thanks, Dave, for sending me that clip. Go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Doing what everyone does on a baseball podcast, talking Richard Nixon. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.